jumping into celebrating Christmas, the season, and Jesus' arrival to earth. And so the question is, why did Jesus come? We've been talking about that for, for a while, but, but Jesus came because he, that we might be reconciled back into fellowship with him, right? With the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He came to reconcile us back together. We could experience the eternal kind of life that he created us for. That's why Jesus comes, that we could experience that life both now and for all of eternity, this life with God that God created us for. And we've talked, been talking about a lot in Ephesians that, that, that Christ it talks about in chapter 1 how he adopts us, he makes us his own, he brings us into his family, he gives us an inheritance, and the inheritance isn't some riches and treasure, the inheritance is Jesus himself, that we get Jesus as part of that. And, and, and yet for so many people, and even Christians today, being with God, getting Jesus, isn't something that, that many people actually look forward to. You know, I, I was recently uh, sitting with some of our young people in, in our church just recently, and, and they shared with something, something I've heard before, but honestly, just, it just broke my heart as they were saying, you know, James, this Jesus thing, we're just really not into it. And these are kids that have parents go here, followers of Jesus, and grown up with the Bible, grown up and, and memorizing scripture. They know every story in the Bible that a kid could know. I mean, they've been trained. They've, they've done everything that any good Christian kid you think would, would have done in, in, in most churches. And they said, we're just not into this, this, this Jesus thing. It's just kind of boring. It feels like like, it's just like a, a belief system. Like, it's, it's not real. It doesn't feel real to us. It seems like just something we, we, we acknowledge. And, and it really, really, oh, man, it hurt me. Not personally in the sense that they were offending me, but just hearing people who like, man, Lord, what are you doing? And, and I've had so many conversations with young people that, that, are, that are like that over the years. I spent the last 25 years working with young people around the world. And people see, look at the world around them, look at the, the Christians around me, and they, they see, I don't see life. I, I see a, a belief system. I see religion. I, I, Jesus seems like a historical figure to me, and sure, it may improve your life in some way, but I, I don't see how you're saying that Jesus brings life. And those conversations honestly haunt me. I, I quote it regularly, and I'll keep quoting it, the, the worst statistic I've ever heard in my life that haunts me day in and day out, and that two-thirds of young people who grow up in the church walk away from Jesus in the ages of 18 to 29. How is that possible? Spend your whole life, you, you know the Bible, you know the word, you've been taught your whole life, and yet Jesus isn't real. He's an idea, it's a concept, it's a belief system, it's a transactional faith that sure he takes away my sin and I get this thing called heaven, but I, I don't really know about that. How is that possible? But it's not just young people who, who, who feel that way. For so many Christians, and, and maybe it's due to combinations of bad examples set for them, maybe it's bad theology, maybe it's pain that they've experienced in life, God is someone that they want to keep a distance from. God is not someone they want to draw near to, whether it be in worship or prayer and reading the Bible. It, we can sometimes treat God like we're going over to a, a friend's house and treat him like a friend's father, like we're a guest in someone else's home and kind of like, yes, Mr. Johnson, and please, may I use the restroom, Mr. Johnson, or Something along those lines, like we're a guest in someone else's home, and we can pray formulaically, we can, we, we can sing stoically, we can sing as though, and, and pray and engage with God as though, again, it's just a, a belief system. We can, we can try to re- pray and read in, in dignified ways. We can sometimes try to, try to choose the right words and try to impress others or impress God with our language, thinking it's about how we speak. And oftentimes, it's like we've been adopted into this family, and we don't actually know how loving the Father is, and again... We're sitting there at the meal, and we're like, could you please pass the potatoes, Mr. Johnson? Or could, could I please be excused, Mr. Johnson? And sometimes we, we treat God that way. that We don't have this intimacy, but we, we treat him as, with such reverence that we forget what he actually created us for. Maybe we see ourselves sometimes as too far away. Maybe 
We, we, we see God as he's like a blimp out there that's at a distance and, and unreachable. And maybe only when we're at spiritual highs can we actually get to him in some way. Maybe we feel he doesn't actually like us or, or want to be around us. Maybe we feel what's, what we've done or what's been done to us is, is too bad and we can't be in the presence of God. But Jesus didn't come down to earth as a baby. We don't celebrate Christmas so that we can go to heaven when we die. We, Jesus came to earth and gave his life for us so that we could have life in him. That's what John 10.10 10 tells us. Oh, it's still up there. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came. That, that's it. That's the right reason right there. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why Jesus comes to earth, that we could experience life and have it abundantly. Jesus longs for us to experience life in him. It's what he created us for, not to follow religion, not to follow rules of morality, or to, but to experience life in Jesus. That's why he came, that we could experience life in him. We serve a living God who is alive. And yet many, so many who've claimed to follow Christ seem pretty dead, to be honest. For some, our faith is primarily a, a mental exercise. It, it doesn't sustain life, and it doesn't breathe life. We've lost the joy of our salvation. Some, maybe like King David, it might be because of sin that's crept into their life that's just calloused their heart in other areas, but for many, I think it's just consumerism and life and busyness and, and kids and, and, and sports and, and Netflix cues and social media. It just fills all of life that just sucks it away from us, and we lose the joy of our salvation. I love how David prays in Psalm 51 after he's confronted by, uh, by, by, the, by the prophet for, for his sin of, of, of sleeping with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. Here's his prayer after that. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. He knows what he's done isn't good. Then he says this, oh, give me back my joy again. He knows that he's lost it. And he says, give me back my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. And then in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Jesus, I want the joy back. I've been stuck in this place of pain and, and, and brokenness and stupidity. And, and we've had in curvatus and say of that being bent in on myself. But as we focus in on this new season, I mean, let's just be honest. Is anyone here that feels you've, you've lost the joy? of your salvation. Has anyone who's been a Christian for a little while felt like David, that you, you relate to that? Oh, Jesus, give me my joy back. You've been going through the motions and it's been too long since you've experienced it. Worship maybe feels like a chore. Prayer feels like work. You feel like God's like a blimp out there who's too far away and you just can't reach to him. This is not what Jesus came for, for us to live the rest of our lives, say, maybe when I get to heaven. No, it's for here and now he came so we could experience his life, empowered by his spirit to live in love like him, that it would come from his gift of grace, as Paul talks about it, that we could rejoice in him, and not just with our words, but in our words that we sing or we pray, but with our faces, our bodies, our lives, that we would be alive in Christ. You know, I often find it funny in some, uh, when, when churches oftentimes today sing the song, you know, I could sing of your love forever. It's that famous song from, from years ago, and there's this great line in it that says, and we'll dance with joy like we're dancing now when we get to heaven. It's, now, when I sing that in Africa, it's beautiful because people are dumping around for joy, and it's awesome. But oftentimes in America, I've heard people sing it, and we'll dance with joy like we're dancing now. Like, like I mean, What? Like, how do you see that with a straight face? Well, I will dance with joy. Like, it's just, oh my goodness. Like, where is the joy? There is none. There is no joy, right? And it's not that it's about our face or we're singing, but my goodness, Jesus came to give us life. 
Can we not get a little excited about the reality of who he is? And we say, oh, we don't want to be emotional. Tell me in scripture we're not supposed to be emotional. Show me in scripture a God who's not emotional. You know, when I had to go through counseling years ago to deal with my, my brokenness and emotions, I was like robotic in my faith. And it was amazing. I mean, I, I, I just had this, um, this light switch on my emotions. I was rarely ever emotional. And it was about 12 years ago, and I had to go through counseling to deal with. I've talked before about my sexual abuse, the stuff in the past, and all this kind of stuff. I was going through counseling. I'll never forget the counselor. As he was saying, James, why don't you experience joy in life? And, and I was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And he was talking through me. He's like, I'm like, he's like, do you know God? I'm like, of course I do. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a missionary, obviously. And he goes, is God an emotional God? And I go, well, I don't know. And he goes like, no, think about it. And he made me, he just like start in Genesis. And I just did, I've been a whole life studying the Bible. I started in Genesis in about 30 seconds, did a summary from Genesis to like, got to like Exodus. That's all as far as I got in my head, going through chapter by chapter. And I just broke down in tears. And I'm like, I have never known of a being more emotional and filled with life and energy and life than the God of the universe. And the scripture is filled with it. I'm like, how have I forgotten who God is? And I just was broken. I'm like, Lord, heal me. Heal me. I need to experience your joy and your life, Lord. I'm tired of trying to control it and keep it inside. So is Jesus more of an idea for us or is he a person? You know, as a father, my chief goal in life of all the goals is for my kids to find out and become in an intimate relationship with Jesus, the person of Jesus. I'm not interested in them believing in an idea of Christianity. I'm not interested in them having an idea or a concept or just knowing about Jesus. I want them to know the person, Jesus Christ, who is their Lord and Savior and friend. I want him to be alive to them, that he's real to them. And and to do that, it's going to take more than than just memorizing Bible verses and and telling some stories. It's going to take more than just sending them to, to Sunday school. And those things are good. In order for them to experience life in Christ, they have to see it in our lives. And as parents, if we're not demonstrating the reality of who Jesus is in our home, regularly with our kids, and they experience who Jesus is and the way we live and the way we love and the way we pray and the way we seek the Lord for healing and and Him to move in our life, if, if Jesus is not alive in our home, maybe one day they'll say, ah, I'm not into this Jesus thing. It's not real. One of the young people I shared with, or that shared with me, they said growing up, they weren't able to see how Jesus made a difference in their parents' lives. They said it's just something their parents believed, and if anything, it, maybe it made the parents better people, but it also just made their parents more judgmental. Like, just not interested. My heart was just broken. Is our life transformed by the reality that Jesus is with us right here and right now? that we dwell at the right hand of the Father in Christ. If you're a parent, do your children, do our children see that Jesus is alive in how we live in love and how we engage as a family? Is Jesus real within our families? Is he a source of life that our kids can see and touch and taste? Does he empower us? Does he order our steps? Why do two-thirds of kids in Christian homes walk away? Well, they walk away from a belief system. They don't walk away from Jesus. Almost no one ever walks away from actually encountering the life of Christ. They walk away from a belief system. They walk away from an idea. They walk away from a transactional faith because they don't know Jesus. They aren't encountering him. No one walks away from experiencing life in Christ. 
I don't want my kids to know about Jesus. I want them to know my friend and Savior Jesus. I want them to get caught up in worshiping him. I want them to get caught up in reading his word and the joy of experiencing him and more. I want them to align their lives to experience his life moving forward through them. I want them to experience the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit moving them as we pray for the sick and they get healed, as we work and minister the broken, their lives are set free, as those in bondage are set free. I want my kids to know that Jesus who loves them more than anything else in the world. I want to know the joy of being in fellowship with the creator of the cosmos. That's what I want for my kids. It's what I want for me. It's what Jesus wants for all of us. I'm not saying that none of us have that, but are we pursuing that? Is our longing for Jesus, is he truly our inheritance? Or is he just a way to eventually live a good life and get to heaven someday so we can ignore him for eternity? He's our inheritance, he says. Okay, that's my preamble. Um, Let's jump into the text. So Ephesians chapter 3. That took a little longer than I was expecting. Most of that wasn't in the notes. Um, So... Well, um, I'll have to get some stuff. Uh, 3.11, let's jump in. Okay, so this was according to the eternal purpose that, that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So this directly follows last week. We were talking about Jesus came that all would be in him, right? The Gentiles and Jews alike, they would all come together. And, and Paul shares how that great mystery is revealed that all would come to know Christ. And to Christ, he's redeemed us from death to life to experience life in him. And he says that this is according to his eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. From the be- before the beginning of time, God's purpose was for mankind to be in deep fellowship with God. So this goes back to chapter 1, verse 4. Let's jump there. He says, in verse 4 of Ephesians, he said, of chapter 1, he says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. From the beginning of time, this is God's longing. Do you get that? From the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time, that we would be in fellowship and intimate relationship with him as his children. That was God's eternal purpose of why he creates us. And it gives him great pleasure. And so again, he says here in verse 11 then, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, finally realized in Christ, that now, after all these thousands of years, since creation and the fall to now, now it's finally realized in Christ that what? We have complete boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is one of the most incredible passages anywhere in scripture, and I'm going to just look at one verse today and break it down. So... That this is God's greatest joy, and this is what he wants more than anything, is for us to come to him. That Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, boldness, access, and confidence. I want to break this down for a second. What does that mean? Well, there's two specific Greek words I want to break down, and I'm not always going to be a Bible nerd and jump into the Greek, but sometimes it, it really helps bring alive the text. And so, there's two words there. It's uses boldness and access to God and confidence. So let's break that down. First is that word boldness. The Greek word here is parousia, and that means freedom of speech. It's actually not boldness. It's, it's really, the, the best translation is frankness of speech. It's candor. It's someone who has freedom to speak in, in intimate ways. That They're not considering their words. They're not trying to think over how to say it formally. It's not rehearsed. It's not formulaic. It's speaking with candor. It's comfortable. It's intimate speech. Speaking to someone that you have incredible familiarity with. It's the exact opposite of fear and shame and protocol and someone who's at a distance. It's, it's close speech for someone that's right there with you as a close friend. 
So that's the language first, that we have that kind of communication with the God of the universe, that we should have parousia, we should have this incredible close, familiar kind of language with the closest friend or with a father whom we love, not formalities and, and, and big words that we don't even understand and have to use dictionaries to unpack and not things that are formal, but just intimacy in the way that we can approach him. Next one is the word access. The Greek word here is prosagohe, which, which means freedom of access. Prosagohe. It sounds like whenever I think, for some reason I think of Gangnam Style. Um, if you like before, for some reason it always comes to my head every time I hear this Greek word. But prosagohe, so the, the freedom of, of access. Of, of, specifically for those who can have access to someone who is royal, of a family member, someone in the inner circle that can access a king with complete access. The door is wide open with no protocol involved. So to have freedom to hang with the king. And then the third word there is confidence, which the Greek doesn't make a difference. It's confidence. Um, so Paul is saying that in Christ, we can come before God, the creator of the universe, with absolute freedom, with freedom of access to come before him with doors wide open. And that we were created to be with him. We come with him with confidence, familiarity into the very throne room of the king that we don't have to ask for permission to be there because it's where we dwell. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were looking at a few weeks ago that Jesus put us at the, took us from death to life and seated us in Christ at the right hand of the Father in his presence. It's where we dwell. We don't visit. It's where we dwell. Not like a guest, but like a child. And it's one of familiarity and intimacy. And, and we don't need to carefully choose words. We don't need to request to speak to him. We don't need to apologize as we walk into his presence. But we can speak to him as a close friend or, or with candor. Dr. Bart, uh, he, he wrote one of the more scholarly commentaries on this called the Anchor Bible Yale Commentary. And he says that that word, um, uh, parousia, that actually it even includes within it the etymology of, of like impertinence, meaning almost like overfamiliarity, almost to the point that, of almost being crass in the idea that we're that close to him, that it's supposed to be that familiar in the way to God. And I love that picture of JFK. We'll throw that up on the board of, with his son just sitting below his desk. The president of the United States in the middle of a meeting, carrying on business, and there's his son just right there playing at his desk, right at his feet. And I mean, that is the perfect example of parousia, right? Just right there, that freedom of access, right in the place of the king that we get to dwell and play and, and have fun. Is that how we relate to God? And then you add to this that we should do all this with confidence, the author of Hebrews writes it this way in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Let us then approach God's throne with grace, of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We should come before him with confidence in his presence. Then a, a couple chapters later, the author says it this way even better. He says, Therefore, in chapter 10, verse 19, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. I want to throw that in the message because it's a little clear in the message when, when Peterson translates it. He says this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Or, sorry, that's the same one I just read. So, friends, sorry, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. I mean, that's incredible. The most holy place, the holiest of all holy places, he says, is now wide open. 
the place that only the chief priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement, and it was so holy that if they walked in with any sin in their life, they would drop dead. The place that everyone lived in fear of, where God's holy presence dwelled on earth. It says, now that place of complete exclusivity and exclusion is now wide open through what Jesus has done. Jesus literally died, and when he literally died, the curtain literally tore and said, now everyone in Christ has access to the Holy of Holies. No longer once a year, but all times at all places. That's not just where we go and visit. Now it's where we dwell. It's where we live, like JFK's son sitting right at the base of his feet. It's no longer exclusive. The curtain's been torn. God's presence is no longer reserved for the holiest of holy. If there was a devout Jew at the time of Jesus and someone said, when Jesus dies, everyone will have access to the holy of holies, they would have tried to kill you as blasphemy. No one could conceive that God could allow sinners into his presence like that. But Jesus came so we could experience life in Christ with God. Peter puts it this way in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, Christ suffered for our sins for all time, once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. I love that. Jesus died to bring us safely home to God. Because of what he did, he prepared the place for us. So we are with God in his presence, dwelling at the right hand of the Father, not because of anything that we have done. It's not because of our righteousness, how much we've sinned, or how little we have sinned, but it's because of Christ's righteousness. We are there because Jesus is there. Our sinfulness or our sinlessness is not what allows us to be there or gives us access. It's because what Christ has done and his righteousness, and now we are in Christ. And because Jesus is there, we get to be there because we're in Christ, not because of us. And because of that, it isn't that we only have access to him when we've lived a sinless week or when we've avoided pornography or avoided alcohol or or tried to live a good month or repented of every sin we can think of. That's not what gives us access. We dwell in his presence even in our sinfulness. We can take it right to him like the prodigal son. We can go right from the pigsty, covered in pig filth, right to the arms of the father. Right to the arms of the father, covered in pig filth and our sin and our brokenness. Because we are there, not because of my sinlessness or sinfulness, but because of who Jesus is. We are in Christ and he is there and so it's where we belong. We can go right from looking at porn straight into the arms of the father. We can go right from mistakes with a a boyfriend or a girlfriend of some kind, right into the arms of the father. We can go there because Christ is there and we are in Christ. And it's not based upon our efforts or our actions. It's based upon his that's what the bible says amen he says that his kindness is what leads us to repentance nothing we can do could ever make us unworthy of being there so if you feel unworthy amen we all are he is worthy and he declares us righteous in his midst that we can sit there with him so are you a wreck amen come to jesus are you living in sin okay come to jesus Are you complete, feel like you're broken and abused and and not worth anything? Amen. Come to Jesus. He is our healer and he will give us life and he will bring us joy. He will take our anxiousness as we look into his face of love and experience his love washing over us as the spirit changes our hearts and changes our lives. This is what Paul is hammering in this letter. It's because of what Christ has done. He has brought us from death to life. And we are in Christ. Christ is the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we're there right there with him. 
Romans 5 puts it this way in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Oh, say that undeserved privilege. Undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing his glory. Our peace with God is not because of us. It's because of what Christ has done. Jesus has made us right with him. He's paid for our sin, and he's brought us this place of undeserved privilege. So what does this mean for us? Back to our verse today, verse 12. In Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Full access to the God of the universe. A couple nights ago, the Lord gave me such a beautiful picture of this, and uh, I'll never forget it. It was 6 a.m. in the morning, and I was reading my Bible, and uh, Caleb, our five-year-old, came walking into the room, as he often does. He's our, our mama's boy. He often wants to snuggle in the morning. And luckily for me, he usually does it with Sarah, um, because that means he wakes her up at 5 or 4 a.m. sometimes, and I get to sleep an extra hour. And, uh, but this morning, he saw me awake, and he came over, and, he, and as he walked over, I just watched him. I, I, I didn't say anything. I just watched him as he walked over. He saw I was awake. He watched over. He, he, looked, he looked at me. He didn't even look at my eyes. He just looked at me. He walks over. That's saying anything. Well, a single word. No request. No, no, no words of any kind transferred. Doesn't even look at my face and smile. Just lifts up the blanket near me. He crawls in. He snuggles up against me. And he grabs my arm. I was on my side. And he pulls it around him and tucks it under himself. And he just lays there in silence. And he laid there for almost an hour. And eventually, we laid for maybe 20 minutes. He didn't say a word. Just laid there, just breathing. I, I hear him kind of whispering to himself. Eventually, he starts whispering to me because they're sleeping. And we whisper back and forth. We chat a little bit. And eventually, he fell asleep. And I just sat there an hour just praying for him. Later that morning, this was just a couple days ago, I, I was here in the office and just meditating on this passage. And I realized, I, I've never seen a more beautiful picture of Ephesians 3.12 than what I experienced that morning. You see, Caleb was boldly and confidently knew he had access to me. He had prosago hey. He knew that's where he belonged. There was no fear, there was no shame, there was no protocol. He didn't have to ask permission. He, he, didn't ha- he, he knew where he belonged, and he was confident that he belonged there. He, he, he knew he had full access, that he would never be rejected, and he knew that my eyes would light up when I saw him, and that he would hear the words, I love you, over and over and over again, and I'd give him kisses and hugs, and he knew it. He knew that was where he belonged. He feeds off of it. It gives him life. And that's the picture we see here in Ephesians because of what Christ has done. He's not distant. He's not angry. His love towards us is greater than we could ever conceive of. And he delights in us more than I could ever delight in Caleb. Do you, when you look at God, see a God who delights in you more than I delighted in my son the other morning as I cuddled with him? No matter how far away you feel, this is how Christ longs for us to be with him. This is why God created us. I've said it before, but before the beginning of time, before creation, God existed in three persons, right? We use that fancy word, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three existed in eternity past, but in perfect fellowship with one another. It was perfect, and Scripture shows us that before anything existed, they had perfect fellowship, just the three of them, delighting in one another, with joy with one another, fellowship with one another. It was perfect, but at some point in eternity past, God spoke to themselves, and they said, hey guys, let us create mankind in our image, let's create them, and let's pour our love into them, and that's why they created us, that they said, let's make them in our image to to multiply our experience of joy and life into creation to exponentially multiply. And that's why mankind exists today. So to multiply that incredible fellowship and life and love, they create mankind. 
That's why we exist, to experience fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and one another. That's why we are existing today. That's, that's why Jesus came. It's what he created us for, for us to dwell with him. And that's why when you read the Old Testament over and over and over again, you see repeated where it says over and over again, God says, then I will dwell with them, they will be my people, and I will be their God. It's always God's goal, all through the Old Testament. The entirety of scripture, and, and just fast forward all the way to the end of Revelation chapter 21, the end of the Bible, the story's wrapping up, where it talks about heaven and, and coming down to earth, and everything coming to consummation, and at that point, in 21.3, Jesus says this, or it's, Revelation says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what it's all about. The dwelling of God is with man. God himself is with us. It's the climax of all of human history, all of God's history. The climax is that God is with us as one, as his people. This is what he's pushing for from the very beginning. That one day we'll experience it in fullness. And a couple verses later, he says it in verse 6. He says, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And I will be with their God, and they will be my children. That's the heart of God right there. For us to dwell with him, to be with him, to experience his life, not just then and there, but here and now. To know the Lord as our Savior and friend and Father and Lord. To learn to hear his voice whispering to us. To hear him tell us how much he loves us. To drink from the well of life for him to be our source of life. God wants us to be with him. And it should shape everything we do. If this is real, and it sure as heck is, it should shape every aspect of our life, how we worship, how we pray, how we read, how we watch TV, how we play with our kids, that we dwell in the presence of God. Everything is being done right in his presence, right in the Holy of Holies. It's where we dwell. It's where our life comes from. And the problem is so many Christians, we we don't live in this. It's true, but we don't live in the awareness of it. We live with some transactional, distant faith, and it's where I live for most of my Christian life. For 15 years as a missionary, I saw myself as a soldier for Christ. I would go anywhere, do anything. I was constantly in danger of death, seeing so many people come to Christ. I saw miracle after miracle, serving God, serving Him. But you know what I never wanted? I never wanted to be near Him. Because that was an interest to me. I just wanted to serve Him and, and get my value in life by serving Him, being the greatest missionary I could be. And it wasn't until about 12 years ago when He broke me, connected to the emotional stuff earlier, when I finally recognized it. Why do I avoid Him? And I realized I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a son. I just wanted to be a soldier. And the Lord turned my life around and sensed that I will never go back to experiencing the life that Christ has when he calls us to be his children, to know him intimately. Some of you, you know God primarily as a belief system. Some of us know him primarily in our heads. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know me as friend and Savior and Lord. I want to finish with the story this morning. Um, there's a story back in the 1800s of a family that was going to travel to America where they saw opportunities there and they, they sold everything, they owned a poor family, sold everything they owned to buy four tickets on a steamer cruiser uh, vessel that was going to America. 
And they sold everything they had. And they, they packed up a bunch of bread and cheeses for the long journey. It's all they could afford. And, and they got on the boat and they got the lowest berth in the bottom of the ship. And, and every day they would go up to the top of the deck where, where the ship is going across. It's about a two-week trip across the ocean. And they would go up and they, they'd walk around. And as they did, they'd pass the restaurants that are there. There are these fancy buffet restaurants. And inside were fancy people and their fancy clothes, eating fancy foods. And, and, and they were just overwhelmed and, and with all this amazing food. Then they'd go back and eat their stale bread and their stale cheese. And day after day, this happened. A week goes by, every day it happens, the bread's getting staler, the cheese is finally gone, and they're getting ready, and after almost two weeks, every day the kids would go up and they'd start just like sticking their faces to the window with people eating on the other side of the glass, right? And the father's like pulling these kids off as the kids are like just salivating, looking at the rich people eating all the food. After a couple weeks, the father can't stand it anymore, he goes with his kids and he goes up to the restaurant and talks to the waiter inside, he goes like, I, I recognize, this is, we're, we're in the bottom berth, I recognize we can't afford this, but... All I have left, the only possession I have remaining is my watch. If I give you my watch, would you let our family in just to have one plate of food? I know it's a buffet. We'll just take one plate for me and the kids. Could, could that work? The waiter says, sir, let, let me see your ticket. He reaches in his pocket, fishes out his ticket, and the guy says, sir, you're a passenger on this boat, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, this ticket, you're full paying fare. He goes, yeah, it includes all meals at these restaurants. The, the entire time, I mean, this, this is your food. You should have been eating here every single meal of the entire time. Like, it includes it as part of the ticket. The father was shocked, couldn't believe it, and they all run in and they eat, and they're like, oh my goodness, what have we missed out on this entire time? And like that story, sometimes we're Christians, sometimes we get used to stale bread and cheese when it comes to pursuing God. It's what we've known, what we've always had. Jesus said, I'm offering you a buffet. I created you for life in me, to know me, to experience me, to experience life in me. And there's so much more what Jesus has to experience life in him, to learn to hear his voice, to experience overwhelming peace, to know his joy, to actually experience his empowering presence, transforming lives, to live in love like Jesus, to cry with him and laugh with him, to sing with him, to experience his joy. There's so many that don't experience that on a regular basis. As we eat the bread and the, the cheese, and think one day, I guess, I'll, I'll get to heaven. If any of you are living more out of your head and your faith, where this isn't your normal experience of knowing Jesus as, as a friend. Jesus is saying, come to the fountain. Drink from my living water. Experience me today. We're going to have an extended time of, of, of worship now. We're going to do an enter time of worship. And as we do, I, I want to encourage you. If you're in a place where faith for you has been primarily just a mental exercise, take a risk this morning. Reach out to Jesus. You're in a place where you've been dry for a long time. Take a risk this morning. Reach your heart out to him. Maybe reach your hands out if that seems too crazy for you. I know for some that's, there's something weird about that. They're going to get zapped or something. But there's something biblical in the scripture that talks about raising our hands and lifting our hands to him. Or kneeling before him. But take a risk and, and, and reach out to him this morning. And say, Jesus, oh, I, I felt dry for so long, but I want more of you right now. Maybe you've been in sin, and, or maybe you've walked away from the Lord recently, and you just feel distant. You just say, Jesus, right now, I want more of you, Jesus. I feel like I've just been surviving on stale bread and cheese, and I want to eat at the buffet. Come to him right now. Snuggle up to him like Caleb did to me the other day. Just come to a familiarity and say, Jesus, I know I sometimes get it wrong and I get stuck in my head, but Jesus, oh, Jesus, I want you. As Lord and Savior, as friend. If you're here right now and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'll encourage you right now 
Just speak to him. Say, Jesus, I, I don't know you. It's weird. I feel kind of awkward. I don't know what to talk, but there's something about that my heart's just being drawn towards. Say, Jesus, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to say. But Jesus, I, I want that. What, what, what that guy's talking about too loud and too fast. I, I, I want that. Jesus, that's what I, 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 I yearn for that love. I yearn to know my place of what I was created for. There's something within me that, that I know is just speaking to my heart. And I know it's right. I want you right now to say, Jesus, I want you. I don't even fully know who you are, but I want you. I want to live, leave behind my brokenness. I want to leave behind my, my, my sin and all the wrongs of the past. I want freedom in you. I want life in you. Maybe you've been believing in Jesus for a while and it's just been a, just a dry, dry, dry season. Pray that as well. See, Jesus, you're what I want. More than anything in the world, you're what I want. Let's come to Jesus right now. I mean that. Not just in some random ways, but let's come to Jesus. Let's recognize we dwell in his presence as we enter into worship right now. I literally want everyone here just visualize we dwell in the very presence of the Most High King. We dwell in the Holy of Holies. And so let's worship him from that place that we are not here and he's a blip out there we're trying to reach for. We don't need breakthrough this morning because we literally dwell in his presence closer than JFK's son was to his father's feet. As close as Caleb was to me the other morning. We dwell in that place with Christ. So Jesus... We offer our sacrifice of praise to you right now. Thank you, Father. Let's worship him.